0: Hey, Duke fans, welcome to episode number 41 of the DBR podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. I am joined by my good friend, my colleague out of Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Hey, what's up, everybody? And also out of Denver, Colorado, Sam Klein. Sam, greet the folks with a pretty tune. That was Sam on his mandolin. I am so beautiful. impressed. It's so How beautiful, long have you been doing that, man?
1: man. Um, I, I, I got it last week, uh, and I'm still working on it.
0: Well, I think it sounds outstanding considering you've had it for a week, and a mandolin is a really, really cool thing um, to play. You're going to get all the chicks with the mandolin. They always say, you know, the guy with the mandolin is the one who gets all the babes.
1: Well, I'm going to be the, uh, the public test case for that thing that you just made up. So <laughs> we'll see. I, I, my goal, I, I, uh, I found the, the sheet music to Dear Old Duke which is not hard to find with the Google um, so that, that I can put together pretty quickly um, that the thing I'm going to try to do, and I'll let the listeners know that by the end of the season, I'm, I'm going to make this promise by the end of the season, I would like to be able to play devil with the blue dress, at least the you know band version of it um, on that instrument. And we'll see how that goes.
0: Wow. I, I will like be very ball. impressed if you could do that.
1: So, so hopefully, Hopefully, by the time Duke wins its sixth national championship, we'll have new intro music for the podcast.
0: Sweet, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so folks, we're in a really good mood because Duke had a fabulous, wonderful, very successful week. Um, it started out with a uh, road victory at Wake Forest, and I will freely admit that this was a game that a lot of Duke fans, including um, the person who's talking right now, uh, really thought that Duke might lose. Um, and then the week ended with a, a, a home victory. Over Virginia Tech, a Virginia Tech team that had surprised a lot of people by beating Virginia earlier in the week. It made them look much more formidable. I mean, uh, Virginia Tech was at the top of the ACC standings when they came into Cameron and they left with their tails between their legs. They got spanked pretty badly. The game was pretty much over. It, not even at halftime, it was pretty much over like 10, 15 minutes into the game. You could, you could, you know sense that the that it was a uh, going to be a a big win for the blue devils and it was um gentlemen let's let's start with the wake game and confine some comments to that and then move on to the virginia tech game so we don't get too jumbled and and mixed up in there um and donald why why don't you start for me um tell me what you saw against wake tell me what you loved tell me what you maybe didn't like all that kind of stuff so the wake game is in my
2: opinion was our first real road test you know we we always play uh, games at Wake that I will uh, freely say is a, a are very entertaining and very nerve-wracking at the same time. Um, I think we've seen a lot of those games that go back and forth. And this is one of those games that in previous years, when you know, you know Wake had a little run in the second half where they took the lead um, or, or actually approached the lead and got close, and those are the games that we kind of lose, uh, where we kind of fall off the rails and we say, well, we're going to let this momentum carry them, and we can't really respond to the punch in the mouth. Um, but this game, we had uh, a man by the name of Marshall Elizondo Mountain Dew Plumley, who all of a sudden, middle of the second half, decided that we were going to win this ball game. And he kind of took over. Grayson Allen took over. And Luke Kennard uh, took over. So I, I really liked the, the, the moxie of the team to get one of those wins in a game that, you know, with, with two guys in foul trouble, we had Matt Jones with four fouls early in the second half, Grayson Allen had four fouls early in the second half, and Matt Jones really was playing on an ankle injury that we found out later on that he had suffered uh, in practice. Um, it didn't really limit his defensive, but on the offense, he only had two points um, and was kind of person we couldn't count on down the stretch because of his limited ability uh, or limited mobility, I should say. But you know, Marshall Plumlee, I I I, I think had one of the great games that he's had in his career against Wake Forest, and I know we're going to talk about him against Virginia Tech as well, um, but if we're looking at Wake, he really set the tone for the, not just the, I don't want to say the comeback, but the shift in momentum, um, his his energy on the on the glass, um, his energy on defense, and really just his cleanup ability and, and monster dunking abilities down in the paint. Um, there's a stretch where he had three or four in a row, and that put that deflated weight to the point where they weren't ever going to come back. So, I really want to give him props for that game. I, I wanted to say he was my MVP for that game. Um Grayson Allen had a great game as well. 24 points. Um, he anytime we needed to score, he was there. Um Luke Kennard off the bench like this kid is coming along really really well um in the last few games and Brent and I, we we haven't even talked about Brent Ingram yet, but he also had a great game with 17 points, five boards. Uh, three assists, three steals, and four blocks. So he really filled filled up the stat sheet um, as he's usually as he's been doing over the last you know probably ten games at this point. So um, counteracting Devin Thomas being like just a monster at times for Wake and, and Cody Miller McIntyre as well. Um, the way to 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 deflate a crowd is to take that punch and basically give them one back, and that's what we did. Usually in previous years we don't do that, but against Wake that's what happened. And and I think it was a really good victory.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you brought up Devin Thomas and, and this brings me to, there, there are several notes I took in the game, but one of the things I want to talk about, um, and Sam, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, Devin Thomas picked up his fourth foul at the eight minute mark and Danny Manning took him out of the game. And it was a very close game at that point. Um, I don't remember the exact score, but I'm pretty sure it was a two point game. Um, Danny Manning didn't get Devin Thomas back into the game until there was two, I think it was about two and a half minutes left. Um, and at that point, the game was was all but over. Duke had stretched out the lead to the point where, you know, bringing Devin Thomas back didn't really affect the outcome. Wake needed threes. They weren't going to hit them. Uh, it, it was pretty much a done deal. Meanwhile, Duke had, uh, you know, as, as Donald mentioned, Grayson Allen and Matt Jones in foul trouble, but they were playing and they were contributing and they were able to stay out of picking up that fifth foul, which would have been devastating to the team. Sam, let me ask you, did Danny Manning make a huge, huge mistake Or is Devin Thomas just so uncontrollable you can't trust him with four fouls?
1: He made a huge mistake, and and as you pointed out, by the time he got back in the game, um, the game was already over, and Devin Thomas played really, really well against Duke, even in in those limited minutes. He still scored a ton of points and grabbed like 12 boards. Um, So he was obviously effective against Duke, and I think in that situation where you have— if you're Danny Manning and you have a team that is, um, you know, not— is not as talented as Duke. I mean, no one's going to say that Wake has a more talented roster than Duke does. Um, you have to use your advantages as they're available to you. And if if you only get thirty minutes of um, non-fouled out Devin Thomas, you have to take them. And and Manning kind of gave up. It seemed like like what are they going to do without without Devin Thomas on the floor? He was their most effective player, um, maybe on both ends. And so I thought that was weird. I did want to point out um, one of the things that concerned me at the end of this game. Um, And perhaps this is something that will lead us to Virginia Tech. Duke won this game. Uh, A big part of the win was how well Duke shot free throws. They only missed two free throws the whole game. Marshall Plumlee, as Donald already highlighted, he made four out of four of his free throws, uh, including going perfect from the field. Um, So I was concerned that maybe going forward that this game was not going to be a good indicator of things to come because Duke maybe got lucky at, at how well they shot free throws. Um, but that was, I think, a little bit mitigated by the next game against Virginia Tech, a team that is probably not quite as talented as Wake Forest, um, but still can put up a good fight. So, uh, And then elsewhere in this game, I th- Donald touched on everything. I think that we continue to see that there's only six guys in the rotation, even when there's foul trouble. I mean, two guys, two of the guys on Duke's side ended up with four fouls. Plumley and Kennard both had three, and we still only saw seven minutes of Chase Jeter. So this six-man lineup until Emil Jefferson is remaining as it is. And I think that Kennard especially had a, had a really good game coming off the bench. I think that he's in a position where he's expected to contribute as soon as he comes off the bench and that he's playing starters minutes um, for whoever, you know, in, in, in this game's case, it was Matt Jones who for whoever's not playing as well. um, Jones was obviously not very effective on the offensive end, as Donald mentioned and Kennard really had to, had to step up for that. And he did so well. So uh, I'm, I was pleased with with the outcome of this game. I think that Kay definitely outcoached Manning, but also, you know, in, in some way got lucky with the fact that none of Duke's guys fouled out. And that's gonna be a concern in every game going forward. I think even when Jefferson comes back, the lineup is still pretty thin. And so that's a, that's a concern.
2: I I wanted so, to point out uh, real quickly on Kennard. Um, he scored 23 points, but he did it without making a three pointer. Usually, he's getting his points the last few games. He's been getting them uh, from behind the three point line. And this time, he was really attacking that middle, like five to 10 foot range inside the paint. Um, he has a little floater shot that's just a, like a killer, like every single time that he shoots it. Um, and even when he doesn't, he gets to the lane, he gets to the rack, and he made nine for nine. He went nine for nine from the free throw line. So he's being very aggressive. And it was one of those. Uh, rare games that you see in college basketball, where a guard gets 23 points and not one of them was a three-pointer. So I think that was really well.
0: Okay, so so there, uh, I want to grab a couple of things you guys said and and build on them. First of all, the the, the free throw shooting, which both of you mentioned um l- like you said Sam Duke 25 of 27 93%. You're right we're not going to hit 93% all the time but the other side of that was Wake Forest. Wake was 12 of 20 which is only 60%. And most teams are going to shoot better than 60%. What's more, I saw at least one front end of one and one they missed. And there may have been two front ends of one and one. So that's extra points they're still leaving behind by missing front ends of one and ones. Plus they had a lane violation on one of the free throws they made. So that's another point that they uh, there's no question even if you're not going to say Wake's going to hit 80%. If Wake even hits 70%, if Wake makes those front ends of one-and-ones, if they don't have that lane violation, I think Wake's putting up an extra four, five, maybe six points in this game, and if you think about where the second half was, they would have been ahead rather than behind for that stretch in the middle of the second half when it was a nip and tuck kind of game, and that makes a huge, huge difference, Um, so I agree with you. We were in some ways very lucky to get away from there with that victory. Um, uh, And by the way, uh, you know, I I love how well Duke, even though they are an incredibly young team, uh, showed poise down the stretch in the game, uh, you know, our first road game uh, against Wake Forest. You know, from the time it was 65 to 63, Duke scored on 11 of its next 13 possessions. That, my friends, is efficiency. That is, uh, you know, and and. It's funny, you know, you look at this team and you go, oh, wait, maybe they aren't that inexperienced. Um, You know, oh, sure, there are a lot of freshmen, but they've got some sophomores, they've got some juniors, they've got got some seniors. Hang on a second. Let's think for a second about the guys who are experienced um, for Duke. Grayson Allen played a little bit late in the season last year, but it's not like he played a lot as a freshman. Um, Marshall Plumlee, yes, he's a fifth-year senior, but the guy has never been a major part of the rotation until maybe last year. And even last year, he was... He was backing up Jalil Okafor. Matt Jones is the only guy on this team, now that Emil Jefferson is out, Matt Jones is the only guy on this team who has played serious minutes, been in games at crunch time in the past. And so it is so amazing. It's so impressive to see these guys doing what they've been doing despite not having experience, despite not being ready for all this stuff. Um, and go ahead. Uh, one of the ahead. things that,
1: that you, you, you point out, the experience thing, this is something that Duke fans, at least for the next, you know, however many number of years that we're in this era where uh, guys can leave after their first year to go to the NBA. And as long as coach K is still doing as well as he is on the recruiting trail, this is going to be the truth for Duke from now until the end of whenever that is, is that Duke every year is going to have a lot of turnover and there's going to be a lot of young guys in the team who have to play major minutes. And even guys like Grayson Allen who come in as highly touted recruits and are now sophomores, as you say, he wasn't even really in the rotation last year. Uh, This is going to be something that we're going to talk about. I think in addition to talking about foul trouble because the team is so thin, this is something we're going to talk about for the rest of this year and, and for the next few years. And we just have to get used to it. Um, luckily there is a lot of talent on the floor and coach K has done a really good job of getting those young guys to to develop quickly. I mean, we've seen how well Ingram and Kennard have come along from the beginning of the season till now, they're both look very confident. Whereas the beginning of the season, you could see that they were all over the place. I mean, Kennard couldn't, couldn't shoot from anywhere at the beginning of the season. Ingram was making a lot of mental mistakes. Now Ingram looks like one of the very best players in the conference, and Kennard is is maybe the best six man that that in college basketball this year. So um, that that maturity has come very quickly, and we'll see. You know, if if they hit that freshman wall that we always talk about hasn't happened so far, um, but it's a thing to look out for.
0: So I, I want to—is uh, there anything um, else that we need to add about Wake? Because I've got a great way to transition us over to the Virginia Tech game. Do it. Okay. So uh, you guys mentioned Chase Jeter, um, who uh, you know, arguably against Wake Forest, we needed Chase Jeter more than we have at any other point this season. Two guys in big foul trouble. Emil Jefferson, of course, out for you know, God knows how long. Um, and Chase Jeter played seven minutes, and um, I regret to say that he 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 got a seven trillion. You know, we've talked about the trillion before. Donald, it's a favorite stat of yours, I believe, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. So Chase Jeter had a seven trillion, which is a, a, a really a pretty troubling kind of thing. That means, folks, if you're not familiar with it, he played seven minutes. Um, that's the seven part. And the trillion is all those other digits that you would accumulate, shots attempted, rebounds, assists, steals, points scored, free throws, you name it. He recorded zeros in all those other places. And you would look at that and think, oh, my God, Chase Jeter had... Another terrible game, another game where he's really struggling to figure out where he's supposed to be on the floor and contribute to the team. I, I actually don't think that was the case. I thought he seemed very active on defense. Um, this was a game where, because of the foul trouble, most of his minutes he played alongside Marshall Plumlee, which is something he rarely does. So we were asking him to play power forward, and I thought he moved around the floor better than I've seen him all year. He didn't look nearly as lost as he usually does. I know that I'm sort of grasping at straws a bit, but so then transfer me now to the Virginia Tech game. Uh, you know, And in this game, Chase Jeter, actually drew two charges. Um, And that says to me, he's starting to figure out how to get to the right place in the right time. Now he didn't score any points. He didn't attempt any shots. Um, He only played eight minutes, but at least he didn't have an 8 trillion because he grabbed an offensive rebound. But to see Chase Streeter beginning to draw some charges, I'm wondering if maybe he's starting to get it a little bit more. At least he's figuring out where to be on defense. Um, and that transitioned us to Virginia Tech, a game where uh, Duke came out really, really, really hot. And Virginia Tech kind of went, oh, well, I guess we're going to lose. Um, perhaps the you know the biggest out of the game, I, I think I saw at one point, Duke hit seven three-pointers in the first half. And Virginia Tech was 0 for 8, 0 for 9, something like that from three. They couldn't hit from the outside. We were very hot. And the game was, like I say, basically over at halftime. The halftime score was 50 to 23. You don't double teams in the first half very often, but Duke had doubled Virginia Tech. Um, So, Sam, i let Donald start the last one. Why don't you start the commentary about Virginia Tech and and what wonderful things we saw in that game?
1: I did want to follow up on your Chase Jeter comment. You said that he was taking the charges, and that's a great thing. I wonder how many of his friends are making fun of him for the fact that he was a McDonald's All-American, and now all he's doing is taking charges at Duke. I'm not saying that that's that's not a good thing. Chase Cheater's gonna develop into a great player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Please don't bash me for it. But I mean, they said the uh, same
2: thing about Shane Battier when they when he first came to Duke.
1: Right. So so Chase Cheater's gonna end up being a, a you know, two time national player of the year candidate, and he's gonna have his jersey retired. So that's great. I'm looking forward Works to Chase Cheaters. I'm working I'm looking forward to his jersey retirement ceremony. It's gonna be a lot of fun, um, especially because the last two guys who wore his number are like Two of everybody's favorite Duke players ever, who never had their jerseys retired. So that's going to be that's going to be really great. I will say, Jason keyed right in on on what happened in the Virginia Tech game, which the Duke just came out shooting awesome right from the tip and and never looked back. I mean, the second half was was a drag for Duke. They actually didn't make didn't shoot that well in the second half, but in the first half it was just so dominant that Virginia Tech it sort of felt like gave up, and Duke didn't really even have to try that hard. Um, more of the same, it seemed, the, the good shooting from the beginning from from all the guys from Ingram and particular Plumley and, and then Kennard off the bench. Um, you know, it seems like this team is developing a formula for uh, how they're going to score and Marshall Plumley uh, in particular had a double-double in this game. Um, again, he only he only missed one shot. So uh, I, I was very impressed with, with both of the wins this week. I think that Virginia Tech is a team that the Duke should be beating by a lot. I think, you know, as you pointed out, that Wake Forest game was probably more more concerning than this Virginia Tech game, um, but it was good to see Duke light it up early and to put them out. Uh, this is this is the way that Coach K wants to win games. You guys remember when we talked to Shane Battier over the summer and how uh, he said that you know there were there were stretches where they'd be they'd be beating teams, but Coach would still be unhappy with them. I think that this was this was not one of those games. I think that that Duke was dominant right from the tip and didn't let Virginia Tech get back in the game. Um, I don't think I had anything particular uh, to highlight from it, just that, you know, everybody played well from the beginning and, and ended it before uh, before Virginia Tech could really think like they had a, had a shot.
0: So, Donald, before we get to you, I want to jump in really quick and talk about a couple things I noticed in this Virginia Tech game. Um, by the way, it's really easy to credit Marshall Plumlee um, with a couple great games this week. And there's no question that he had a couple great games. And he's battling on the boards phenomenally. And he's finishing really well around the basket. But... We should not forget the passing that he's getting, the, the way that Duke is beginning to um, draw the defense. The, the guys who penetrate in this team, which is pretty much everyone not named Marshall Plumley, they penetrate, they draw the defense, and they've started dishing the ball to Marshall, and he's getting, you know, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason that the guy shot, what, what is it? Uh, uh, so he was 13 of 14 <laughs> on the week from the field. 13 of 14, that's pretty good. There's a reason he shot 13 of 14, because I think that basically, like, 11 10 or 11 of those 13 were wide open dunks um hey i can't dunk the ball he can i love that he does it but credit should be given to the guys who are passing the ball to him and i'll tell you the guy who against virginia tech i thought had quietly a great game and that's Derek thornton he had seven assists that's a career high for him a couple weeks ago when we were talking a little bit about the you know the battle for the duke assist lead and and our prediction about who would have the most assists. I forget one of you had Derek Thornton as your pick. I think over the course of the season you're going to be right because what I saw from Derek Thornton in this game was a guy who was getting to the teeth of the defense and then giving the ball up to his teammates and they were scoring it. Um, and you know, I, I spoke earlier this season about the lack of assists for Duke that I thought Duke was maybe going to be historically low in assists. Well, we had 16 against Virginia Tech and our season average is now up over 13. So, and we were down below 12 a couple weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I think that's a big deal. And and those are easy baskets. Duke is great at scoring difficult baskets. I mean, you know, Kennard and Allen and uh, uh, and um, Brandon Ingram. Oh, my God, I blanked on Brandon Ingram's name. Those three guys, I think, score lots of difficult baskets. When we get easy baskets, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I really thought the story of the Virginia Tech game was the ease with which Duke had a uh, Duke was able to score both wide open three pointers that we buried, and then um, when we were able to, to dish the ball mostly to Plumlee and get um, get easy dunks out of it, and it was just it was great to watch. And Virginia Tech had no chance. By the way, the last statistical thing I want to mention from the game, you guys know at halftime, at halftime Duke had a 27 to 12 rebounding advantage, 27 to 12, and Duke is just not typically a team that blows you away on the boards. That was. That was great to see. I, I love it. All right, Donald, Jason, your turn now.
1: Jason, we have Marshall Plumlee. He's the best rebounder ever.
0: Ever. <laughs> Sorry, Donald, what, ahead, Donald, what more do you have to add about Virginia Tech? So
2: you were mentioning the uh, three-point uh, discre- dispar- discrepancy um, where they were 0 for 6. They ended up uh, – Virginia Tech ended up 1 for 12. In the last three-pointer of the game that they shot with, like, maybe 50 seconds left – was the was the one that they had. Um, to, I guess they have a streak going um, for a, a little bit of a number of, th- of threes in a game. Um, and they were able to do that on their very last three-point attempt of the game. So they were one for 12, which is a good uh, 8.3% uh, from three-point land. Um, so a couple things I wanted to talk about. Ingram had six blocks. Um, and so there was a lot of times where Plumlee, I thought, stole the show. I thought it was his game. He had two blocks. He had 21 and 10, 9 for 10 from from uh, free throw, like you guys said. Um, but what really stuck out is there was a couple times where Plumlee would basically gimme the guy that he was guarding and basically trick him into going in the lane and thinking that he wasn't going to do anything because he knew that Ingram was already 15 feet in the air when the guy went up for a shot to do a block. So there's a lot of help side blocks that Ingram had. Um, that was really set up by Marshall Plumlee's defense, and I think they both played well together um, uh, interiorly in the defense.
0: Hey, and by we, the way, you know Ingram, Ingram had four blocks against Wake Forest. he had yeah. a ten-block week. I mean, mm-hmm. pff, those arms, Plastic Man, he's yeah. amazing. And that's not
2: counting the 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 you know the type of things where he likes to do at the top of the key, where you know, his go-go gadget arms will seemingly make a, what is a a simple pass. To the wing, turn into a dunk on the other end because of his arms, able to get into that passing lane and get a couple steals. So I think he did great in that regard. Um, Luke Kennard had great passing as well. You know, you talked about Thornton, but there was a couple times where Luke Kennard had uh, some no look passes to set up some great shots. He had one uh, to Jones in the corner, basically in the middle of our little run in the first half, where it I, I basically jumped out of my chair and was running around the. It was one of those playground. No look passes where the entire gym would basically run onto the court and stop the game. If this was on the playground, the game would have been stopped at that point because it was that great of a pass. Uh, you know, I think Ingram and Thornton were finding great ways and cre- creative ways to feed Plumlee in the lane. Either they would drive and you know basically find a way to dish it to him for a dunk, or the you know Virginia Tech would try to double down on that. And Ingram and Thornton had great open looks uh, inside the inside the paint, and so did Luke Kennard as well. Uh, finally, I, I wanted to say that we had a solid stretch in the middle of the first half where, you know, I think we played very well throughout the entire first half, but there was a stretch where we just basically blew Virginia Tech out of the gym, and that was where they really didn't stand a chance. The second half was kind of, you know, I mean, they were giving out player of the game awards uh, on the broadcast with like 16 minutes left in the game. So th- this is something where we wanted, to, we wanted to make a statement. We wanted to come out really, really well. And shoot the lights out, and we did just that starting from Ingram all the way down the bench. Everybody did their job and it made it so the second half was basically an exhibition um, where we were trying to, you know, do some different looks. So I, I really liked how we played um throughout the game, but mostly in the first half.
1: Um I'm gonna jump in, Jason. You mentioned our preseason predictions. So uh as of now, you, you, we talked about Derek Thornton rising in his assist per game. Grayson Allen is still leading the team at 3.6. Derek Thornton's up to three point one, but as you mentioned, he had a seven assist game this this week, so he's rising fast. Uh, looking at our preseason predictions list, Jason had Grayson Allen, and I had Derek Thornton. So, uh, so go baby go on this uh, on the offense being a little bit more traditional with it. And I believe I had, Th- I had Th- or I had Canard. Yeah, you had oh. Luke Canard. You're toast. Uh, um, well,
2: this, there's still a lot of season left.
1: So he's only, <laughs> only sixth. He's only six on the team in assists. You have plenty of time. Um, <laughs> So, and there, by the way, only seven guys have played major minutes this year, so d- don't worry about it. Um,
0: <laughs> listen, it's
1: fine. I had, I mean, I, I'm sure I have bad predictions on here somewhere. I must. I know that Jason has all the good ones, so um, in any event, I'm yeah. sorry. I I, I I didn't mean to digress, but but I'm very proud of uh, of Derek Thornton for uh, making me look smart, even though I had forgotten about who I had picked in this preseason.
0: Prediction. You know, I. I- it, just to, to stay on Thornton, um, because I, I actually thought, even though he didn't score a lot, I thought the Virginia Tech game was one of his better games, maybe his best game of the season. Um, he played great defense in that game. Uh, it, it, you know, he and Grayson Allen absolutely dominated the Virginia Tech backcourt. Um, uh, it, you know, if you look at the stats, I mean, the, their backcourt did nothing. Seth Allen is their best player, and he had one of his worst games of the entire season. And I think a, a pretty fair amount of credit for that. Goes to Derek Thornton, who who does an incredible job of fighting through screens and staying in front of his man. Um, uh, he he's already um, a a excellent excellent defender, and and I, I feel like his offense is really starting to round into form as well. But hey, guys, I want to um I want to stop looking back and let's look ahead a little bit. So Duke has a game coming up on Wednesday um, at Little John against the Clemson Tigers. Clemson always hates 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 Duke um and sometimes they've in recent years they've given us some pretty tough games even in even when they haven't been a particularly great team they're they're uh this is you know not not a really good clemson team this year they're they're not terrible but they're you know they're not the bottom of the conference but they're not exactly the top of the conference either um i don't know how they are three and one in the league so far because i just think they aren't that that great but they've they've managed to 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 you know, win some games. They upset Louisville this weekend, which really surprised me. So maybe they're better than I think. Um, I'm trying to remember, guys. uh, Whoever is supposed to be previewing Clemson, chime in and give me a Clemson preview.
1: It's Donald. Yeah, go ahead. Donald, let me me just point out that Clemson's one ACC loss so far is the loss that they will have forever and ever and ever, which is in Chapel Hill.
0: At UNC. They will never, ever, ever win there. They will never, ever Ever. win.
1: Donald, please tell us about Clemson.
0: And they
2: had a great chance of winning two, and all of a sudden, they just it's almost like it's a curse, man. Like I, I just need them to buckle down when they're in Chapel Hill. One day, they're One day, we're gonna see this happen, and it's gonna no, be. It's not.
1: It's It's not gonna happen. The thing is real, and happen. it's totally in their heads.
2: It's really. It really is. They. They. That game. They had it all the way to the end, and they just said, "Oh wait, we're supposed to lose." They. They basically read the script and decided to follow it. Um, I, wait, wait. Do you guys? Uh, yeah,
1: I was go gonna ahead, say dude. you
0: guys probably you probably aren't old enough to remember back when Rick Barnes was co- coaching Clemson one year, they were playing in Chapel Hill. They had a lead late. The game went to overtime and Clemson ended up playing with like four players, maybe three players. They fouled literally everyone on the team fouled out and, and it was a game they were absolutely going to win. And then suddenly they had no one left to play and they ended up losing because they always lose in Chapel Hill.
1: It's real. And it's never going to end. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It, I, I would love to see it happen, but I just don't believe
2: yeah. Well, let's talk about Clemson, the basketball team. We may talk about their football team in a minute, but uh, their football team may be number one in, in America and going for a national championship tomorrow, but their basketball team is uh, the opposite of that. They are not that good. Uh, they're 10-6. They're 3-1 in the ACC. They have actually won three in a row. Their biggest win on their schedule is the, uh, the game today against Louisville earlier today um, on Sunday, um, where they did beat them. So um, they are getting back on track. They have losses to umass minnesota alabama south carolina georgia and unc and the reason hey, why and, bring- and by
0: the way by the way uh, i mean the sec is terrible they're 0-3 against the sec they lost to georgia by like 30 points and georgia is terrible
2: yeah we i was cleansing. gonna say we were just right before we were we were doing our pre our podcast prep and we were talking about how terrible the sec is uh this year and and yeah, they have three of those losses in a row on their schedule. So um, that doesn't really bode well. Their non-conference schedule, strength of schedule, according to Ken Palm, is 333rd. So they're really going to need to, if they have any chance of making the NIT, they're going to need to really step it up in the ACC. They're, they're ranked 82nd, so they have been improving, and I think they're going to uh, still be a formidable task, um, especially in Little John, which is a, a place that surprisingly over the last like decade, we really haven't played well there. Um, they're led by Jaron Blossom game. He's their six-seven junior forward. Um, he, goes, he goes for 15.3 points per game, and he pulls down seven rebounds. So um, he's really a force in the paint. Um, they also have Avery Holmes, uh, Dante Grantham, who we talked about last year, who really uh, – was it last year or the year before? Um, he really had a great game against us. I'm uh, no, sorry, it was, the, it was last year because he's a sophomore. Um, he really had a great game against us, and it was one of those games where uh, I saw his name earlier when I was doing some prep, and I was like, I remember this guy. He was really a pain, pain in the you-know-what against us last year. So he's going to be someone to look out for. He hasn't had as good a season. Um, he's at 9.7 points per game, but he's still someone to look out for. Um, as a team, they don't shoot well from the field. They are 43.8% from the field. Um, but They, they do never have, do. They never do. They They're one of those teams that likes to shoot the ball a lot, and they try to get points that way. They, I mean, it's one of those teams where if you shoot 100 times and you make 43%, there's still 44 shots that went in. So they're trying to get points that way by, by volume and, instead of quality of shots and, and efficiency. Um, but what they do have, they do have some huge guys that get a lot of minutes, including Landry Nonoco and Sydney De, DeGine. They're both 6'10". They're both two forty, two fifty, 250, and they also have another guy, Robertson, who is 7'1", and Josh Smith, uh at six eight two forty five. And let me mention as a Detroit fan, a Detroit Pistons fan, anytime I see the name Josh Smith, I automatically assume that guy's terrible because Josh Smith is a terrible player. Um, but this Josh Smith <laughs> is not that Josh Smith. The smooth effect will not be uh, in you know not be play in play here. Um he is he is a really big big boy and he and that is what is going to be um, a test. We had that test against Wake. I think we'll be able to handle it again this time. Um, as far as from three-point land, they are 36% from three. Avery Holmes is their quote-unquote sharpshooter. He shoots 43%. He's actually pretty good and someone to, uh, uh, that can get 20 points on you um, if you don't be careful. Um, but overall, they do like to distribute the ball. They like to get points by volume, um, and they like, to distri- they like to score as a team. So um, I think that's really what Clemson is, but it's, it's one of those things where the way we've been playing so far, this should be a game. That we can handle, especially uh, with our guards.
1: I, I wanted to ask Donald: um, Are we? Did you mention that uh, Clemson is playing at Little John?
2: They are playing at Little John.
1: I, yes, because I I thought the Little John was under renovation. Is that done?
2: It was under it Ooh. was under renovation last year, and I'm pretty sure that it is okay. done.
1: All right, um, I might be getting my news confused. Uh, I think I think they're. I thought they were playing somewhere else this year. Um, but regardless, their, their fan base gets up to play Duke. So I don't think it, it exactly matters that they're playing in Little John or elsewhere. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, but you may be right. Um, or we had this conversation and it turns out you're wrong. And the people will listen and comment and tell us that you were wrong. Uh, I will I, will, I will clarify. I will
2: counteract and correct myself. I believe they are playing in Greenville. Um, okay. So I guess it's not Little John. I thought for some reason that Little John was – that renovation was done. Um it might be because of uh, construction delays, but uh, yeah, it seems like the last uh, few—I guess—the games they've been playing so far have been in Greenville, uh, South Carolina. So, but either way, I, I, that's—I think—that's still an arena that's smaller, or, or I'm sorry, not as small um, as Little John, but still, those you know, those fans are going to be hyped for us. They always love to beat us. Um, they always love to get up for us, and I think uh, they will. You know, it depends. Maybe, maybe after Monday, they'll be you know, really amped and excited and kind of distracted, or they may be really somber and depressed, depending on what happens uh, in the national championship game in football.
0: Uh, don't get ahead of ourselves. Don't get ahead.
1: Well, uh, I, I don't think I, I would, I would guess that the Clemson fans, unlike most years are probably not super focused right now on the game against Duke in basketball. This week.
0: No. Oh no. I think you are correct about that, sir. Yes. So yes. Uh, yes. Uh, enough, Enough about Clemson. Um, Sam, it is your turn to preview the second game of the week, which is against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, um, a team that uh, uh, really rose to the uh, uh, up near the elite level of college basketball last season. Um, and a lot of folks thought they were going to stay there, and maybe they'd come down just a little wee bit, or maybe a little more than a wee bit. Um, so give us a preview of Notre Dame.
1: I actually don't think that Notre Dame was supposed to be at the top of the top this year. I mean, they obviously lost Jerry and Grant and Pat Connaughton, who were two incredible players for them last year in the backcourt. Connaughton obviously was a great rebounder and shooter for them. Um, And that the key for them going into this season that everybody talked about was that if they were going to be competitive, uh, that rising junior guard Demetrius Jackson was going to have to really step up. And he has. I would say that. You know, Grayson Allen has made, a, has made huge strides in the ACC, but Demetrius Jackson is right there with him. Uh, his scoring average has gone up from 12 points a game to 17. He's averaging five assists a game, and he's basically shooting at the same rate. Uh, he's basically the same shooter from from three and, and, and from all over the field as he was last year. He's just taking more shots a game and therefore making more and getting more points. So Demetrius Jackson is the is the engine that runs this team Um, But in the middle, uh, they have senior Zach August, who's averaging almost a triple double. He's got nine and a half rebounds to go with double digit points. They've got five guys who average double digit points in this team. It's pretty impressive. Jackson at 17, August at 13, Steve Vistoria, who we're familiar with, is averaging 12 points a game. And then Vijay Beacham and Bonsi uh, Colson, who I don't think were as as, uh, important to the rotation last year, but they're both averaging over 11 points a game. So it's a team that at least from a few positions, can score really well. The problem for them is that after that, they're really thin. They've got two more, only two more guys who are averaging double-figure minutes. That's Matt Ryan and Matt Farrell, and they're averaging six and three points a game uh, and not contributing much in any other statistical category, So, except uh, Matt Ryan is a, is a decent three-point shooter, but he's really not the, taking that many a game. Um, so Notre Dame has kind of the same problem that Duke has in that they've only got a handful of productive players but they get a lot of production out of them. They're averaging 79 points a game. Their offense, as usual, is very good. Uh, it's the defense this year that has been uh, maybe not so good. In Ken Palm, I'm gonna double check to make sure that I got this right. In Ken Palm, they're third in offense and they're 214th in defense. So um, that's uh, that's kind of disturbing for them. Duke should be able to put up a lot of points against them. It'll be, it'll be a fast-paced, high-scoring game. I think uh, the Duke offense, obviously, has been very strong this year. Um, so the, the key to them is just to, is just to outrun them and to not get into foul trouble. Notre Dame has a lot of the same challenges that Duke does, I just think with a little less talent. So, um, so we'll see. Um, the, the one thing that Notre Dame does have on Duke, I think, is the experience. Three juniors and a senior all in the rotation for them. So when we talked about how Duke has to get used to being the less experienced team, I think this is another one of those games and Notre Dame is is much more talented I think than than Virginia Tech and and Wake Forest who we play this week. So that's going to be a challenge is that these guys don't get rattled. Um they've obviously with guys like Jackson and Vistoria, they've they and August um they have guys who have who have played major roles on good teams especially last year. So um the key for Duke is just to I mean it, it sounds stupid and and uh and should be, but they just have to score more points. Uh there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. And so <laughs> so uh so duke just has to keep pace with it and and play notre dame's game better than notre dame does so um that hopefully that experience doesn't doesn't you know give notre dame too much of an advantage uh and and it'll be interesting to see how duke chooses to uh contain or try to contain demetrius jackson who's their most uh who's their most sort of versatile player um and is their point guard um we'll see we'll see how that how the defense lines up against him
0: well, I I bet Thornton's going to take him. It's going to be a, true, a big challenge for Thornton. But I, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I thought he did, you know, just a really great job against Virginia Tech. Um, uh, and and uh, I look forward to that. But the matchup I'm looking forward to, the matchup I really want to see against Notre Dame is Bonzi Colson, who you may recall in the ACC semifinals last year, absolutely owned us. Bonzi Colson. Oh
1: yeah, yeah 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 okay. I, I apologize. He, I he, had I had forgotten about. It. I had watched that game at a bar, and then had like immediately gone somewhere else. So I think I had put it right out of my mind. I was like, "Well, Notre Dame is good. Don't care. See you later."
0: I yeah, but that was not He single-handedly destroyed us last year in the ACC semifinals. Right. And the thing about him, remember, he's he's a he's an inside player. He's he plays power forward for them. He's only six five, but he's got like. One of these ridiculous, crazy wingspans. So I'm looking forward to seeing Bonzi Colson against Brandon Ingram. Probably two of the longest wingspans you'll ever see. Two of the very few guys in college basketball who can tie their shoes while they're still standing up um, upright. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the, those two guys playing against each other. Uh, uh, that that that'll be very interesting. And and to some extent, I I sort of feel like you know um, if Ingram can really shut Colson down, that's going to make it very very difficult for for Notre Dame um, uh, because this is a team that just doesn't, they need everybody performing at a high level. Cause like you said, they don't have a lot of, a lot of uh, bench help. Um, Donald, you have anything you want to add about Notre Dame?
2: No, I, I, I think this is one of the like marquee matchups, like that I've, that I want to see because, you know, since Notre Dame has entered the ACC, they've uh, they've been one of the teams that I don't want to say the word have, have our number, but they, They've been, you know, pretty, pretty formidable opponents against us, and there have been some very good matchups between the two of us. So I'm really looking forward to this game just as a fan, not really statistics or, or you know, whether you know I think Notre Dame can beat us or not. I just want to see this game as a fan because I think it's going to be a really good game.
0: Yeah, you, you know, one of the things about Notre Dame, by the way, is um, they're they're looking for a signature win. Uh, if you look at their schedule up and down their schedule, there's, I mean, they beat Iowa. That's it. There's no one else they've played who's good that they've beaten. I mean, they even lost to Indiana, who's a team that people thought was going to be good. And Duke, um, Duke took them apart. And you know, Wake Forest also beat Indiana. Indiana, you know, turned out to be not all that great. Um, if you look up and down Notre Dame's um, schedule, they have very, very few wins to hang their hat upon. And um, you know, this game against Duke uh, is, is going to be a big deal for them. But it's in Cameron. I really have a hard time. It's going to take a very, very special team to come into Cameron and beat Duke this year. Um, And I don't know if Notre Dame is going to be able to do it. Um,
1: In case case you didn't remember, um, last year the game that Notre Dame played in Cameron, Duke won by 30. The game was basically over before it started, and Grayson Allen was the star. So, uh, if anything, Notre Dame will not be uh, will not be confused about who Grayson Allen is and what he's capable of doing. Because prior to, I think that was his best game. Um, during the regular season last year, he had the one good game against Wake, but that Wake team wasn't nearly as good as Notre Dame was last year. So uh, look for them to try to maybe uh, maybe retaliate against Grayson Allen for for making them look like fools in the regular season in Cameron last year.
0: Hey, so guys, so uh, we're going to move on to um, player of the week nominations, and then we're going to do some parting shots, and then we're going to really quickly talk about um, the big game coming up on Monday night, the Clemson um alabama national championship game in football but let's start with um player of the week and uh donald why don't you go ahead and tell me who you have picked um i I wonder if this will be one of those weeks where all three of us pick the same guy i think there's a pretty decent chance of that
2: yeah and it's no surprise for me it is marshall elizondo mountain dew plumley the dude was on fire all week he missed one shot all week he missed one free throw all week and he was just a monster uh it, it you know he had the two best games of his career um, on Wednesday and on Saturday so uh, no no question Marshall Plumley player of the week and Sam
0: are we gonna make it two for two
1: nope uh, I wanted to take Marshall Plumley I really did um, but I thought you know what the other guys are gonna take Marshall Plumley and we had a great week all around and I wanted to pick someone else and I want and I, I'm taking this person as player of the week as an excuse to highlight something that I read on the DBR forum uh, because one of our purposes here is to highlight for everybody that, Hey, you should check out the forum because there's a lot of good discussion that goes on. So my, uh, player of the week for Duke this week is Grayson Allen. He averaged the most points on the team this week, and he prompted the following comment in the Virginia tech post game thread. Uh, it was by the poster whose poster name is I X N Y C. I don't know if there's a shorter way to say that other than just reading all the letters out. Um, but
0: nice. Mix. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He had a he or she had a had a nice long post about about the game and, and summed up a lot of different players. But at the end, mentioned uh, that there that no game discussion will be complete without us talking about our human pinball, Mr. Allen. Uh, and there's a there's sort of a running joke on the DBR forum that I I especially enjoy, which is that the forum is terrible collectively. All the members of the forum are are collectively terrible at coming up with nicknames for players. Uh, many of the posters try and they and they fail every time i think that for the first time since i've been reading the forum someone actually came up with a nickname for one of the duke players that i could see myself using one day which is the human pinball for grayson allen the way that he gets in the lane and the way that he gets to the rack and gets around other players uh, and manages somehow to not get hurt is really impressive we saw it a bunch of times this week against both wake forest and virginia tech so i wanted to shout out grayson allen for having another monstrous week he's he's become one of the very best players in the ACC uh, and is going to get overshadowed, I think, this week in ACC Player of the Week, voting by Bryce Johnson, who was a monster for UNC. Um, But the human human pinball, shout out to Grayson Allen and shout out to poster NCEXNYC. I enjoyed your post this week.
0: Uh, so uh, my player of the week is Marshall Plumley, Um, and, uh, it's nice that you had something nice to say about Grayson Allen, but Marshall Plumley was the player of the week. Um, Sam, you lose, uh, (laughs) there's no question.
1: I acknowledge that. I only did it, um, because, because the nickname thing came up. If, if that, if I hadn't read that on the forum, I would have probably picked Marshall Plumley.
0: So, so uh, I'm going to show you the right way to do this, which is, for listen to me, so Marshall Plumley is my player of the week, and I'm going to use the fact that Marshall Plumley is my player of the week as an excuse to talk about Luke Kennard. Um,
1: <laughs> all right, so uh, before you do this, before this, I had three guys written down. I, I wrote Marshall Plumley, and then I wrote backup. Grayson Allen. Then I wrote back up, back up Luke Kennard in the event that you guys took those two guys. So I'm at oh, least okay. glad that you followed. We're, we're following my plan. I just didn't tell you guys that was going to be
0: my plan. Right. So so Marshall absolutely is the player of the week. But I want to talk about Luke Kennard just for a second um, because uh, I, I'm about to make a bold prediction. And, you know, sometimes we go, you know, we'll go out on a limb sometimes here and we'll say things and and they may be a little outrageous or, or you know, we may be trying to stretch you know, where we're predicting things. So I'm about to make a prediction that will not come true for a minimum of three more years. I'm about to predict for you that Luke Kennard is going to become the next player at Duke to score 2000 points in his career, which is, and, and I'll tell you something. Whoa. I did not. Th- yeah. I am uh,
2: I have a nugget. Once you're done, go ahead.
0: I, I did not think that we would get another 2000 point scorer at Duke. Um, I, I'm 90% did not Kyle Singler make it? Kyle Singler got there. Yeah. Um, it is really, really hard to score 2000 points in your career. And one of the reasons it's really, really hard to do it is not just because you have to be a great scorer pretty much every year that you're in school and the, your team has to go deep in the tournament so you can play enough games to, to get there. The other reason it's really, really hard, especially nowadays to become a 2000 point scorer is guys leave early. Look, I, you know, if he played, if he plays four years, there's little question in my mind that Brandon Ingram's going to score 2000 points in his career. Um, Uh, but, uh, he's not going to play four years (laughs) and, and, you know, some of the other great players who've been here in recent years, Kyrie Irving didn't play four years. Um, uh, Jabari Parker, uh, Justice Winslow, you name it. I mean, uh, Jalil Okafor, they they didn't play four years. Had they played four years, they would have scored 2000 points. Well, I think Luke Kennard sort of doesn't have the athletic explosion enough that the NBA is going to come immediately calling for him. So I think he has a chance to play four years and the kid can score. The kid can score. He can score. He can score. You know, he's averaging 16.1 points a game over his last seven games. That's coming off the bench. Um, You can also book him for about five rebounds a game. Um, And he's doing all this without his three-point stroke working. I mean, we can look at the way he's playing. You look at the way he holds the ball and shoots the ball, and you can tell this is a guy who's going to be a devastating three-point shooter. He's hitting less than 30% of his threes right now. I guarantee you that at some point in the season, Luke Kennard is going to run, go on a little run where over the course of four, six, eight, ten, 10, maybe 15 games, he hits 45% of his threes because he's that good a shooter. And when he does... He's going to start putting up some silly numbers. He's going to start making 16 points a game look like a joke. So, even though I picked Marshall Plumlee as my player of the week, Duke would not have beaten Wake Forest. Duke would not have beaten Wake Forest. Duke would not have beaten Wake Forest, beaten Wake Forest without Luke Kennard. And so, I, I just I want to take this chance to shout out to that guy and make a prediction that you know we'll have to be checking again in 2019. I think 2019, 20. 20? Actually, 2020.
1: 2019.
0: 2020. 2019. Yeah. 2019. 2019. Yeah. To see if I'm correct. Uh, Luke Kennard's going to score 2,000 points in his career. I, no.
2: I had mentioned this exact same thing. We were, t- I was watching the game with a couple of friends on Saturday. And we were talking about how he just scores from – just finds ways to score. Is not necessarily the pretty way to score, but that's he just finds ways to score. And we were talking about if he stayed four years, is it possible that if he, you know, continues a trajectory that, you know, most players do in their career um, – Oh, you're not going to talk about
0: J.J.'s record, are you?
2: No, no, no. I didn't say he'd break it, but he would get into that area. He'd get to over 2,500 points because, remember, before the season, Coach K was asking him to be the backup point guard. He was saying, I hope you can improve on your handles because you're going to be bringing the ball up. There's going to be a point in his career when he's not going to need to do that anymore. And he's going to be able to focus on just scoring the basketball, and that's where we're going to see this rise. And this, is, and and I think two thousand, if he stays four years, is a really you know makeable goal. But I'm going to go on the further limb and say we're going to see if he stays four years, he ends up with
1: over twenty five hundred points.
0: So wow, twenty five hundred is a up, lot of points. That's a that's lot of
1: points. Little. Yeah, I looked up some stuff. I looked up some stuff. So Donald, for your reference, um, there are only. 16 dudes since the 1996 season. I'm, I'm using uh, Basketball Reference for this. There's only 16 dudes since the 1996 season who, in total, scored more than 2, 2,500 points in their college careers. So that's a pretty lofty goal. Um, Jason was half correct in that Kyle Singler was the last two player to uh, eclipse 2,000 points. Technically, Seth Curry did it too, but that's including his one year at Liberty. So, like I said, it half counts. Um, I don't know if Kennard's going to get there. I I think that. Um, he actually might end up getting so good that he would leave early, even if it was only after his junior year. I think that he's going to get a lot of attention and score a lot of points. And in this era where where guys leave as soon as it's time to go, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leaving after his junior year. I don't know if he's gonna get um if he's gonna be the focus of the team enough next year. As you mentioned, Donald, he he has to he has been told that he's gonna have to handle the ball a lot this year. I think that's actually going to go away next year because we're going to have an improved, you know, Derek Thornton that's still on the team. And then also a freshman, Frank Jackson, who's going to be able to play point guard. So um, Kennard is going to be scoring a lot. I think that he's going to be playing a lot more of his natural wing position next year, and he's going to be doing it maybe more prominently than he is this year. You know, Grayson Allen is maybe going to leave Brandon Ingram's going to leave. So um, we'll see. I actually think that Kennard's going to leave early. Um, Ahead of being able to reach 2,000 points, although if he makes it to four years, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets there because I think you guys are right that he's that he's become such a versatile player and he is able to score in in ways that I don't think we expected him to be able to do as a freshman.
0: You know, JJ Reddick only averaged 15 points a game as a as a freshman and 15.9 points per game as a sophomore. I I, I don't say only like those aren't good; those are really impressive. But uh, I won't be surprised if, if Luke Kennard. Gets close to 15 points a game as a freshman this year, and I think he he may be you know perhaps well above 15 16 next year as a sophomore. Although you know, so it depends on if Grayson Allen comes back. Backcourt minutes—it's going to be really hard to find time I to play next year for Duke in the backcourt.
1: I don't think Grayson Allen's coming back. I, I think that he's he's played so well this year. I, I think he's going to end up leaving, even if he's like a low lottery pick. He's still going to be a low lottery pick, and he should probably go.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he's quite up to the lottery, but I think you're right. I think he's top twenty, and I think I, I think it is very very likely that he's going to go. I mean, think about the fact that the guys he was buddies with last year um, all left uh, after the freshman season. He he probably is going to want to join his friends in the NBA very very soon. All right, so we've done player of the week. It's time for parting shots. Um, Donald, why don't you go first on this one? Tell me what's your parting shot.
2: So I wanted to give a, a shout out to the uni- to Oklahoma and Kansas basketball teams for playing what was one of the great regular season college basketball games I have ever seen uh, this past Monday. they uh, it, it was a battle back and forth the entire game. It went three overtimes, and in the end, Kansas uh, Kansas pulled off a, a one-point or two-point win. But what was really, uh, like, it was one of those games that you could not take your eyes away from it, and people who weren't watching the game immediately regretted their decision to go to bed early or whatever it was that took their Took their uh, attention away from that game. It was a fantastic game uh, to watch, back and forth the entire game. It had everything you wanted to like, everything you could possibly have. They had some derps. It had some. It had Buddy heel going for 46 in in Fog Allen. It had you know Perry Ellis just being Perry Ellis and just dominating game at times. It had everything, and it was really one of those riveting college games. It's what college basketball is all about. It's what makes you fall in love with the game, and it was a fantastic game on all levels. Hats off to both teams for a tremendous game. And mind you, it was a one versus two matchup, uh, which is probably a one versus two matchup that people didn't think we'd see this season with those two names attached to it. So, uh, hats off to of both teams. They, it was a great game, and honestly, I don't think either team should fall. Uh, I'm sorry, should fall in the polls on uh, tomorrow because it was that good of a game. Nobody should have lost that game.
0: I love it. And I agree that was uh, that was one of the finest regular season college basketball games you'll see, Um, uh, you know, uh, among two teams that that fiercely hate each other and compete hard. And, you know, maybe this will be the year that Kansas finally doesn't win the Big 12. I I swear to God, I think Kansas has won the regular season Big 12 title, like something like 12 out of the past 14 years. It may even be better than that. It's it's like ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, uh, I'm kind of rooting for Oklahoma, um, to knock them off their perch this year, just because I'm sick of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, Sam, your turn. You got a parting shot.
1: I do. Uh, I wanted to talk about football really quickly. I don't watch a ton of NFL, but I was watching today because of the playoffs and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, so I turned on the early game, which was the Seahawks and Vikings game. And they were doing, uh, you know, they were doing the player intros where the, where the players introduced themselves on the screen for half a second. And, you know, they, they say their colleges and I was like sort of half paying attention. And all of a sudden uh, I heard Cooper health at tight end Duke. And I was like, Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, Duke players who are not only in the NFL, but starting uh, and, and announcing themselves as going to Duke on the TV. So that was like, you know, another one of those cool moments where we talk about the rise of Duke football. There are, there are guys playing prominent roles for, um, prominent teams I mean, the Seahawks have obviously been one of the best teams in the NFL the last few years. Uh, and it, it prompts me to tell a quick story uh, from football practice from a few years ago when I was, when I was at Duke uh, and Cooper Helfit was the star tight end of the team when, when I was there. And uh, there was one week during practice where I guess the, the coaching staff was concerned about his, about his ability to catch the ball. And uh, our tight ends coach at the time was a guy named Ron Middleton, who played in the NFL for a while. And if you don't know who Ron Middleton is or was, um, imagine the largest human being that you can imagine and also the loudest human being that you can imagine and double that person's uh, size and volume. And you have Coach Ron Middleton. And he did a drill with Cooper Helfit where he had Cooper Helfit lie on his back. And Coach Mid stood about like five feet. um, So like Helfit was lying on his back, um, like, you know, with his arms and legs outstretched. And Coach Mid was standing about five feet away from... Uh, Cooper Helfet's feet. So he's about like 10 or 11 feet from Helfit's head. And he was he was throwing the ball as hard as he could at it's head. And and, and Cooper had to, had to catch the ball right in front of him. Uh, it was a very, very scary drill because Coach Milton is perhaps one of the scariest people I've ever met in my life. Um, and it was a drill where I was watching it and thought, this is one of those things that only very, very elite guys ever have to do. And look, Cooper it's playing tight end for, for one of the best teams in the NFL. So that was a cool moment. And I wanted to share
0: it. Ah, uh, you know, speaking of Dukies in the NFL, uh, Ross Cockrell, um, former Dukie, uh who uh, who plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, had a key fumble recovery, um, for them uh, that that uh, allowed them to win that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so uh, props props to him for that. Um, well, Bengals team. You have haven't to seen Ray. Right?
1: Right. That's right.
0: Duke, Duke yes, guys all yes. over
1: the playoffs, and and Jameson and Crowder played for the Redskins today, although they unfortunately oh. lost.
0: Yes, they lost. And um, uh, Jamison, he had an okay game. He's he's been having some big games, and and they've got to be thrilled with you know how he's done. Um, uh, hey, so my parting shot um, is a, a word of caution um, to everyone excited uh, about Duke being three and zero in the ACC, and and two games coming up this week that you know as we did our previews, it's pretty clear that we expect Duke to win both those games. I think the following week we'll play Syracuse, we will play Syracuse, and then at NC State. Um, I would imagine, even though, again, you know, it won't be easy, no ACC game is easy, that, um, that Duke will be favored in both of those games as well. So my word of caution is, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and pretend like we're going to be 7-0 in the ACC, but eh, it's pretty likely. Well, it's yeah, not pretty likely. It's, there's a decent chance we're going to be 7-0 in the ACC. Um, folks, the schedule is going to get a heck of a lot harder. Um, Duke's schedule is... Uh, unbelievably backloaded in the ACC the front half of our ACC schedule is um is really when we play most of the the teams that are that are really struggling in the conference and i just think starting starting on the 25th of january we're we're at miami we play at a georgia tech team that looks fairly good We got NC State and that'll be at home. That'll be a little bit of a reprieve. Although state always plays as hard. And then we've got that murder stretch against Louisville, Virginia, UNC, Louisville again, Florida State. Pittsburgh's played really, really well lately. Uh, uh, It's easy to get excited about where Duke is right now and how well we've played since that Utah loss. Um, And we have played really well and guys are coming on. Um, We've talked about Kennard. We've talked about MP3. Uh, Brandon Ingram is certainly coming on. Um, And uh, yeah, I talked about, Uh, Thornton um, and how much he's improved lately uh, the schedule is going to get a lot harder so my parting shot is I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm I am enthusiastic about this team right now but I'm trying to temper it because we haven't really been playing teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament and you know come the end of January beginning of February we're going to start to play a lot 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 of teams that not only are going to make the NCAA tournament they're going to probably be teams that a lot of people pick to go pretty far in the NCAAs um uh, one of you, I forget, uh, what, we were talking about the uh, Ken Pomeroy rankings. Donald, it was you who was mentioning uh, the Ken Palm rankings and how um, the ACC uh, dominates. Um, uh, I think there are five ACC teams in a row in the back half of the top ten of the Ken Pomeroy rankings. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's uh, it, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, uh, starting at number five. Duke's number five, Virginia's number six, North Carolina's number seven, Miami's number eight, and Louisville's number nine. Man, I mean, <laughs> and we play all those teams back uh, seemingly back to back to back to back come come end of january early february it's it's going to be rough so that's that's my parting shot and guys before we go
1: wait before you i'm not you, sure uh, if we'll get on, this on that, on, yeah, your point, on your point on your point everybody um, pray to whatever deity you choose uh, that bill jefferson gets healthy soon
0: heal oh god please heal yes please
1: <laughs> whatever whatever it takes man
0: so, I, by the way, I was talking to my kids, we were watching the Virginia Tech game and they were we were just talking about, you know, Duke's rotation, not being that um, not being that deep right now. And, you know, all that other kind of stuff. And I, and I said uh, and they, they were talking about, you know, Duke's ranking, you know, well we're number 14, 15 in the nation. You know, aren't we usually better than that? And yes, son, we are usually better than that. But that's fine. For, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. But I, I said um, I said the key is. You know, when Emil Jefferson comes back, because I really feel like once once Jefferson returns, this is a team that's capable of playing with anyone in the nation. Um, and I'm not sure we're quite there yet without him. But um, it's going to be real interesting to see once he does come back, because uh, I feel like a lot of these guys have progressed, have grown into new roles and 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 become better players because they've been forced into action that they wouldn't have necessarily have been uh, without Emil Jefferson. But uh, anyway, okay, so are we ready now? Uh, We're recording this on Sunday night. The College Football National Championship, including an ACC team, Clemson, will be tomorrow night, Monday night. I'm hoping we'll get this podcast posted before then. But uh, whether we do or not, we're going to make predictions. Um, Donald, go first. Give me your prediction for the National Championship game. Alabama versus Clemson.
2: I am going 35-33.
1: Clemson. Sam? Uh, I don't have a score, but I think that Clemson's going to win because the ACC is the best football conference.
0: Well, I would I would really, really love for Clemson to win. I'll be rooting hard for Clemson. I'm no Alabama fan. I love the ACC. I think it'd be very good for the conference to have a national title. But if you ask me to put some money down, if you ask me to make a prediction, I'm going to go 35-21 Alabama. I I. I, I I would take them on the points. I just would. I, I think they're really, really good right now. Um, so
2: well if if Alabama wins and then I win one point three billion dollars on Wednesday, then I'll take Alabama as a national champion because I'll be one point three billion dollars richer.
0: There you go. Yeah, by the way, you know, um you're not supposed to buy multiple tickets. You're supposed to buy the same numbers twice. The same numbers twice. Thats science yeah. for
1: you. Is that science?
0: Yeah, you, you don't know that. No,
1: I hadn't read that.
0: Okay, yet. so 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 here, here's <laughs> the
1: deal. Here's gambling with Jason.
0: Yes. Here's the deal, and and I, this has sort of been foiled by the fact that the Powerball thing's gotten to be so big, um, because no one keeps on getting it right. But in theory, once a lottery gets to be so big that there's sort of a frenzy, typically there ends up being multiple winners, and your your odds of getting it right. Don't appreciably change by having extra tickets. I mean, like your odds of winning if you have one, it's easy to say, oh, you know, I'm one in, uh, you know, 160 million to win if I have one ticket. Well, if I have two, I'm one in 80 million but but your odds are still so tiny that buying extra tickets doesn't really appreciably change your odds in terms of actually winning i mean like it's not like you can get it down to one in a hundred or or even one in a thousand i mean like the best you can do if you bought thousands of tickets you still would probably be like one in a million to win uh, which is yeah you know crazy impossible odds so what they say is what you're much better off doing from a statistical standpoint is buying the same numbers twice because if you win, you will have doubled your payout because or, – or not doubled. Yeah, you'll have doubled your payout because there'll probably be multiple winners. Usually when there's a big jackpot, there are multiple winners. So if there are four winners, rather than getting 25% of it with four winners, you could get – what is it? Uh, you would get 40% of it if you had the same winning ticket twice. Does that make sense? Am I? Am, are my statistics making sense to you?
1: I didn't take statistics at
0: Duke, so I don't know. Donald, does that make sense to you?
2: I mean, if there's four winners and you have two of the winners, then you'd get 50% of the pot not Right, right. I was,
0: I was saying if there are four winners, if you had two, if there were really five, but yes, you're right. Right. Yeah. If there were four winning tickets and you had two of them, you'd get 50% as opposed to 25%. So the, the theory is that rather than buying a lot of extra tickets, buy, you know, if you want to feel like, oh, I want to buy five, I want to buy 10. Well, buy the same number twice because you, you can probably double your payout or increase your payout significantly if you're crazy randomly lucky enough to win but you're not it's just it's impossible to win it's impossible
1: yeah um, well good luck to you in winning it um i i don't even know if i'm gonna play because i think i saw somewhere that the odds of winning are worse than your odds of getting hit by a meteor um and and nobody gets hit by meteors so um you I miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, That's why I'm
2: playing.
1: Thanks, Coach. Yeah. I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> some, someone does have to win. At some point, someone has to win. Yeah. So no, you're right.
1: You're right. Um,
0: the, the theory we'll is might as well be me, but I, I don't know. I'm yeah. not going to play.
1: Guys, if uh, guys, I, I promise you that if I do end up buying a ticket and, and if I do end up winning, um, I'll take the three of us to a Duke basketball game. Uh, probably a Duke North Carolina game in Cameron. That, I'll, I'll take it. I'll
0: hold you to that. I like it. So I'll tell you this. If I win, I will finance the podcast going live from a Duke basketball game.
1: Oh, ho, ho. all right, Donald, you have to, you have to top
0: us. Uh, if we win, we all go into the Final Four. We're sitting,
2: we're sitting in the best seats in the house, and we're going to be in it. We, we're going to be in it. I, can, I, think we, I, I think for $1.3 billion, I can buy us to the Final Four.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to bribe the other teams, with $1.3 you can do that.
2: Everyone else is but doing the, it. NCAA not seem to be caring, so it's fine.
1: But can we record the podcast from there once we have purchased the final four? Absolutely. Okay, just making sure. That's it. That's really all I want. I'll own it. So at that point, we can do what we want. It's our house.
0: True. You know, recording the podcast live is probably only like five grand, or so, or maybe even less than that. It's like nothing. If you win one point three yeah. billion, you can sneeze out that amount of money. Exactly. We'll
1: be. I mean, we'll be able to record live every week because we'll be able to fly each other to wherever the recording studio right, is. Right.
0: The recording studio that's made of gold. <laughs> <laughs> You got a dream. You got a dream, guys. Well, uh, again, Duke fans, thanks for joining us um, as we've diverged into a million and fifty different crazy directions. I thought we were only going to talk about the national championship football game. And lo and behold, we ended up talking about what we would do with our winning should we win the one point three billion dollar lottery. So, Donald, thanks for doing that, taking us in that direction. No problem. Um, uh, once again, um, I am Jason Evans for my colleagues, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Thank you very much, Duke fans, and it is time for the Duke band to play us out.
1: But wait, do you want to hear the second half of Dear Old Duke, just in case it sounds good?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay, so wait, so wait. (laughs) Yes. Actually, wait, the band does not have to play us out. Sam, Sam, play a little bit of mandolin. Duke music on the mandolin. Take us home, Sam Klein.
1: Shit. One more time.
0: <laughs> That's perfect. That's so perfect.
1: <laughs> wait. Wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. I, I figured out what I did wrong. You know what? It, hang on. I'm going to get it. Here it is, and it's going to be good. You guys ready? I was practicing it on mute basically the whole time. Um, so this is just Do it. Right. Do it. This Do it. Do it. Okay. Do it. <laughs>
0: That was awesome, man. Feel free, to, feel
1: free, to chime in, feel free to chime in when you listen along at the uh, the uh, you know the the, the shout out part the one the only part that people know of the of the album mater. Yeah,
0: all right, um, we're done. Feel free to feel free done. to not use that. <laughs> no, oh no, we're using that. That's we're using, all that. Tom, we're using since, all that, We're using all that. Since
1: we're here, you want to share one more time? Just, I, I think I could get it right. I think I could get it right.
0: Do it. Hey, it's so much better the way you just did it. Yeah. <laughs>